Welcome to another edition of the pregame podcast where we're going to be discussing some proposed ideas from another content creator in the sports world. That's right, Dan. We are looking at some uh, some ideas that came out of Foolish Baseball's camp about what he would do to make baseball better. Yes, I personally am a big fan of Foolish Baseball. Been a longtime subscriber. Love the content he put out. Uh, Love the spring training stuff he was doing before COVID kind of wrenched everything as well I, I think his real name's bailey i think bailey does good work i i'm 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 happy with what foolish baseball does and he put out a video recently where he talked about if he was the emperor of baseball i think that was the exact terminology he used <laughs> the emperor of baseball what he would do to make the game better and i want to go through step by step talk about everything he talked about and see if we agree, if we disagree, and where we stand on whether or not we're going to support Emperor Foolish Baseball and his, you know, right to be baseball royalty on top of the MLB. The only way I will fully support him is if he uh, wears a cloak and uh, has red eyes. Uh, why a cloak and red eyes? Because uh, he has to be Palpatine. I was going to say, where is this coming from? But I now understand. <laughs> it's coming from nerd uh... camp over here. I'm not sure if I, like, agree with that or not. When I think of Emperor, I think of, like, old-fashioned, like, middle, like, middle-aged, like, European-style uh, Emperor. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a bit too much of a nerd for that. But anyway. I'm thinking of pompous clothing. But Fair enough. Yeah. A- anyway, as you're, as you're alluding to, let's transition into the, talking about the actual topics that he mentioned in his episode on fixing baseball. His fixes fall into three different categories. So we're going to go category by category. First one is about fixing the game itself. The second one is about fixing the financial and front office issues in baseball. And the third one is fixing fan support. So we're not just talking about the game itself on the field. We're talking about all aspects of Major League Baseball. We're like everything top to bottom. We we are going everywhere top to bottom. So let's start the way he started with the game itself. Basically, with the game itself, the primary issue that he was looking at was the fact that the length of games has been increasing. And that causes a lot of fatigue for the watchers and the people who are trying to stay with their team for an entire season. I remember there's a very interesting point that the guys over at Secret Base put in one of their videos recently where they were talking about people messing up the pitch count, like professional umpires, like awarding like a three ball walk and stuff like that, where they talked about if you took all the games in a season, okay, every game, and you watched them back to back to back to back to back. Mm -hmm. If you did that all day, every day, and only slept two and a half hours a night, If you started on opening day, you would finish two days before opening day the following year. Oh, God. Baseball has a lot of long, long games. And because of that, that's the primary thing that Foolish Baseball is looking to get fixed. So first thing that he would implement is he would implement a pitch clock while the bases are empty. And he said that pitch clock would be an 18 second clock, which is 
a little bit more aggressive than what they have in the minors. I think the minors use typically 20, but that pitch clock would be used anytime the bases are empty, which I think is a good differential from just having a pitch clock, you know, flat out all the time. I tend to agree with that. I think I think a pitch clock when it's empty is is good. I think a pitch clock while there's bases loaded, two outs, counts three, two is a bit too much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. So I think this one is a perfectly fine change right off the bat. We're starting fine. Okay. Yeah. Nice, nice softball shot for us to, you know, to wreck league that thing over the wall. The next uh, point that he was trying to make is fighting against. He wanted to make the game more exciting. And the problem is that the game is becoming less and less exciting because of the idea of the three true outcomes of baseball. Are you familiar with what those three true outcomes are, Caitlin? I don't know if I am. So the three true outcomes of baseball is that whenever a pitcher and a batter go head to head, there are essentially three true outcomes, either a strikeout, a walk or Uh, a home run. I see where you're going with this. So basically, the argument is that those things are boring. The ball doesn't go into play. People don't run around like there is no like nothing crazy happens. And the rates home runs are pretty entertaining. Yeah, to an extent. But like. Home runs are going up, but also at the cost of strikeouts going up because people are swinging for home runs and not just swinging to True. get a ball into True. play. I, yeah, I see your point. So strikeouts are going up, home runs are going up, and uh, walks are also going up because of it. So as the three true outcomes increase, the amount of time you have action on the field decreases. So he wants to do three things in order to try to reduce the three true outcomes. First off, okay. he wants to move the mound back two feet. Whoa! Currently, the baseball mound is 60 feet, six inches from home plate. Yep. yep. It's been that way since like 1890-something. I don't know exactly yep. when, but it's been well over 100 years. And since that time, people have figured out how to pitch faster, pitch nastier curves, nastier change-ups. And because of that... I mean, he basically says if we move it back two feet, that gives a bit more of an advantage back to the batter because I think a batter already has like something like 400 milliseconds to of window to decide whether or not to swing, which is ridiculous. To me, that's like what makes baseball hard. True. There, there will be some points later that we talk about that will like throw it back in the pitcher's favor a little bit. But the first step is moving the mound back two feet. I think this is rather reasonable because... The one benefit we get out of this is when a pitcher throws an off-speed pitch or any pitch that has movement, you're going to get way more movement because there's an extra two feet for that thing to start moving. The other aspect of that is everyone has to learn how to re-throw. Like, you have to re-learn how to re-throw that curveball so that it doesn't curve out of the strike zone with that extra two feet. You have to re-learn how to throw that changeup so that it doesn't drop, you know, drop out of the bottom of the strike zone. And they already do that in some instances. You know, some pitchers already have issues with that on certain pitches and stuff like that. I think if you move it back to if you just like picked it up and moved it back two feet tomorrow, mm-hmm. there'd be a lot of pitchers that were throwing wild pitches that were, you know, just all over the place. I, that would be my personal assessment of what would happen there, because that's all like just muscle memory from day one for them at this point. Like those major leaguers have been doing pitching at that distance since they were in like high school. So 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it would cause more issues on the pitcher's end than anything. And yes, it does make the batter's life easier, too. When something is in the strike zone, it isn't going to be moving as much. Or it'll move from way out to, like, down the middle or something crazy like that. In which case, they get more time to read it and see it. But, again, I don't know how much that would impact batters as it would impact pitchers negatively. Yeah, because, well... The, the problem with that is I don't think that, okay, obviously, yes, the pitcher has to adjust for the fact that they're two feet further away. And, I mean, two feet in the scheme of you're throwing a ball at 90-some miles an hour, eh, you know, like, there, there's an argument about, what? like, how much of an adjustment that's going to have to be. I, I think the big thing there is that, like, you're saying that batters are going to be able to, like, see the movement. The thing is, you got to remember that, like, when you throw, like, a curveball, for example— it's kind of like you're bowling. You know how, like, when you go bowling, they oil the lane, but the last, like, I think, like, three or four feet of the lane when you approach the pins is not oiled? So because of that, you'll throw a ball, and it's like you'll throw a bowling ball down the lane at the very end. Like, if you put spin on it, at the very end is where it picks up a lot of that spin and just whips. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah. Like, I think the same principle applies here because, like, currently when you throw a curveball... A lot of the movement okay. comes the closer you get to home plate. And if there's more distance to go to home plate, that means that the break is going to start earlier, which means that the total distance traveled is going to continue to exponentially grow, you know, as the ball drops or as the but ball. But it's two feet. That's yeah. two feet of distance. Do you know how quickly those things break now? Yeah. Okay. So what I'm Add saying. two feet of breaking distance onto that. Yeah. Well, what, what I'm. Okay. So. A benefit for the batter is that it's going to break earlier for them. They're going to be able to visually see it break earlier. Correct. Okay, but a benefit to the pitcher is the fact that it will break further. It's going to break more dramatically. I don't see. I don't see that as a benefit. I see that as a needed adjustment. I think that. Listen, there have been so I many think, pitchers. I think there. I, I think that it can benefit some pitchers, but I think to the pitchers that are really good right now, I think it'll cause more problems than it will benefit. I think any pitcher who like. Whether it be like their strikeout pitch or like they're a bullpen guy and it's their specialty, but any pitcher whose like job is to come in with a really nasty like twelve six curveball and like have that thing like coming at you, coming at you, coming at you, and then it like hits the plate and like drops to the ground, and it's going to be out of the strike zone regardless. Your goal is to just deke the batter. They're going to be totally fine with that because that thing is going to like fly out of the way in comparison. I, I guess. It does hurt pitchers more than it hurts batters, but I think there's interesting caveats for people that throw off-speed pitches or they throw fastballs at a high enough rotation that they get rise on their fastballs. Those are the guys that I think could see a possible like backdoor benefit from having more space to let the ball operate. All right. I, I see your point. I am fully seeing your point. I just think there are more pitchers that would negatively be impacted than the pitchers you're describing yeah i agree i'm just saying that there's like some pitchers might have a little bit of a backdoor advantage to this but speaking of backdoor advantages oh then, boy where is this going well the next rule talks about how like trying to lower spin rate a little bit and part of that is actually having a strong enforcement on foreign substances that pitchers use to get grip on the ball it's kind of an open secret in baseball. Uh -huh. Like, obviously, if you do it egregiously and put, like, pine tar on your neck, like that one Yankees pitcher from, like, the mid-2000s or whatever, dab up your arm with, like, oil or whatever, 
to get a better grip of the baseball, you're going to get caught. But there are tons of people that use, like, sunscreen and stuff like that to affect to get faster spin rates, which allows for faster balls, balls that move more and stuff like that. Basically, Foolish Baseball just wants to have an actual strong amount of enforcement on banning those substances and, like, actually cracking down on pitchers and bullpen arms using these substances. I right, think so you have to check them yeah. every time they come on the field, basically. Yeah, or just, like, for, like, I think the example that he used in his video is, like, if Trevor Bauer suddenly increases his, like, rotations per minute on his fastball by 400, like, that's the equivalent of some guy hitting, like, 10 home runs in his first 20 at-bats to start a season out. Like, hey, bud, come in here. You got to take a piss test. Like, hey, bud, like, we're going to be checking you because, you know, there there's no way that you just do that. You know, you you don't play five years at the same general spin rate and then all of a sudden just like jump that drastically. Um, right. So like the the data can kind of like incite them into that so that they can actually like be more proactive instead of just reactive whenever they're like, hey, look, there's pine tar on that guy, which is kind of the current state of affairs. I think that's pretty much straightforward. I think that's a very easy one to say yes to. Yeah, I agree with that one. I, I think a check would be would be OK you know, help cheating, quote unquote, cheating out of the the game of baseball. I don't know. I'm also like a big fan of, you know, players and teams doing things, you know, cheeky little things that aren't illegal, but are just kind of like really dude to like get that small advantage too. I've always been a big fan of that. But at the same time, like if someone has a little bit of pine tar in their glove and they're putting it on their fingers, like that kind of stuff has to not happen. That's just blatantly against the rules. So yeah, yeah yeah so that needs to be stopped and then the flip side of this is obviously those are two rules that affect pitchers way more than batters the flip side is that the mlb which now owns a portion of rawling which is the company that produces all the baseballs actually does something about getting rid of the juiced ball that has been plaguing baseball for the past couple of years now the one that's led to ridiculous number of home runs and stuff like that and basically the logic to that is produce baseballs that aren't as uniformly round, like like aren't as perfectly, perfectly spherical, allow them to have slightly more imperfections, allow them to have be- like bigger seam heights so that they're not as aerodynamic, and also use a rougher leather on them so that they aren't as smooth when they're flying through the air. Basically things to prevent them from like, preventing anybody from just knocking a ball out of the park. Which I can also agree with this a little bit. Home runs are cool, but... If your objective is to fight the three true outcomes, you got to fight home runs as much as you're fighting strikeouts. I feel like in our lifetime, Dan, the league went from way too many home runs with Barry Bonds to stopping home runs to all the fans going, now we don't have enough home runs, and then them juicing baseballs again. And now here we are again going, all right, now we're tired of seeing everyone hit balls out of the park. Please make the balls trash again. Well, okay, let's be real here, okay? Back back in the late 90s and early 2000s, all right, the everyone balls was were, on roids. The balls everyone weren't juiced, roids. okay? Yes. Other pe- people were juiced. The balls weren't juiced. This time around, right. you know, you're getting, you know, guys who normally hit doubles into the gap that are hitting, you know, an extra 5, 10 home runs, which is ridiculous for how often they would normally get home runs. So that's another portion that kind of cuts down and allows more offense in the field, which I think overall is a pretty good idea for baseball. Speaking of which, there are two more things that he wants to do to affect the game. First one is he wants to basically fight the shift, which is very simple. Just require two infielders on either side of second base. 
pretty straightforward. Pretty simple. Yeah, which still allows for some shifting, just not to the drastic level that we've like started to see where it's, you know, seven guys on one side of the field and like two guys on the other. The other thing he wants to look at is dropping the number of games in a season from 162 down to 140 games. I also agree with this. I think the baseball season is way too long. Yeah, the thing considering is, the fact yeah. that considering the fact that the games are already that like forever long. That's that's my view on it. The games are long themselves and we play a lot of them. We could play <laughs> a few less of them. I agree with that completely. So yeah, drop the number of games to uh, 140. I think that's perfectly fine. And that is everything that he wants to do that affects the baseball on the field. So if there's anything else you want to say about some of his changes before we move on to the front offices, uh, you know, speak now or forever hold your peace, Kalen. No, nah, I think I'm good. All right. Well, front offices It's funny enough. You know, it was only like a little bit ago that we were talking about what should Rob Manfred do about Bob Nutting? Because <laughs> we're talking finances, we're talking front office, and we're talking about how baseball can actually like invest in itself to create more stars and to create better players at the major league level. So first off, he's looking at minor league support. And the first big thing for that is increasing minor league pay. So I don't know if you know what the averages for minor league pay are right now, Kate. Trash. Absolute trash. Well, the actual numbers. I don't know the actual numbers, but I know it's bad. Okay, so all of these numbers are for one full season, one full year, essentially, of baseball, okay? So in rookie ball, those players make, on average, $4,800 a year. Uh, single A is 11000 so is high A ball as well, $11,000. Double A is about 13200 and triple A is $15,400 for a season. So if you calculate that, you got about 60 players in rookie ball and 30 at each of the other levels. That means that paying for your minor league system for one season, Kalen, any, any guesses on what that big total comes to? Oh, geez. Uh, now you're making me do math. Um, I'll just take a guess. 85. Well, no, that's, that's, oh, geez. All right. Well, you're, you're a couple, a few million. Barely, a, not even a couple million, $1.8 million is how much the payrolls for the entire minor league is. And the problem with that is you got guys who are in single A, in high A, in double A, that they're getting paid eleven, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 for a year, which means they have to go out, they have to get a second job, they can't focus on training in the offseason like they normally would. And that stunts the ability for these guys to actually grow and mature into better baseball prospects, which is the goal of my, the minor leagues in the first place, you know? Now, for some of the more highly contested draft picks, they normally get, you know, a couple hundred thousand in signing bonuses, so they can live on that while they're in the minors for a couple of years. That's not a problem, mm -hmm. but... There were some examples of, uh, I think the, I think it was the, was he the Cy Young winner the other year in the AL, either or in the NL. Um, either way, like Hader, for example, he is like one of the best bullpen arms in baseball right now. He is a fantastic part of the Brewers team, part of the reason why they're favorites to win the NL Central this coming season. He was a 17th round pick. His signing bonus was like fifteen thousand dollars. 
So that, and then he got thrown into, you know, as, as a 15-round pick, probably a ball. So he made, you know, 27000 the first year, and then he made, or 26000 the first year, and then he made 11000 the year after that. And for a lot of people, that's really hard to sustain focusing on a baseball career and not getting, like, pulled into other things. Yeah. Career-wise. Yeah. You, you have to live and, you know, feed your family yeah. if you have one, etc. So here's the radical idea. Make it so the minor league pay system averages out to this, okay? Mess with the minimum so you get this as a result. Rookie ball, you get $20,000 a season. Single A, you get $30,000. High A, you get $35,000. Double A is $40,000. Triple A is $50,000. Now, you're probably thinking, wow, that's drastic. From fifteen to fifty, from eleven k to thirty, you know, rookie balls going from f- not even five k to twenty k. That, like, that feels like that would be a huge impact to you know the owners of the teams that also have to run these minor league systems, right? I mean, you would think. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm setting you up for the fact that it's not. Yes, the, the total cost of the minor league system, okay, in their salary would go from one point eight million, which it is now. To five point eight million, it would be a four million dollar difference. I mean, you say that like that's not a lot of money, but that is a lot of money. I mean, if you look at who currently is getting paid in baseball, four million dollars a year. I know. It, if yeah. you put it in you that, drop one. Yeah, you could drop one four million dollar player who probably isn't doing anything for your team anyway, and pay your minor league prospects some living wages, and then make them even better. And the other thing that Foolish Baseball wants to do on top of the increase to minor league pay is install a system where for every player in your minor league system, you pay $10,000 to a minor league support system that builds programs to help minor league players with nutrition, training, any like housing need that is kind of like a special situation that they can't work with on their own, and also the mental skills to be a professional sports player and professional baseball player. And that additional 10K per player would bring the entire minor league system bump to an additional $5.8 million per league. So, like, like per team, essentially. Right. Now, obviously, 5.8 isn't chump change. But when you consider the fact that this could very easily turn a lot more of your mid and low round picks into actual prospects and turn them into actual stars on the major league level... You like you realize as soon as you hit you have like one player hit that entire investment for the year is entirely worth it. Yeah, totally worth it then. Yeah. So these are some of the changes to the minor league system that I think would be huge in like fixing the game and creating an actual good pipeline for bringing a lot more talent to the game. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for it. I'm I'm all for paying people to do what they love and, you know, give them somewhat of a living wage to do it. You know, I definitely think that's something that the league should consider mm-hmm. implementing. And I think Bob the, Nutting would hate it, but, you know, well, <laughs> I, I mean, for him, an extra five point eight million, like he only has one player on the roster that makes more than that. <laughs> <laughs> But that's that's more of a Bob Nutting problem. But speaking of things that is going to piss Bob Nutting off, okay? Because there, there are two other things that Foolish Baseball talks about. First off is the service time thing, which basically means that players can reach the free agency a bit more fair. It's a little bit more complex. I'm not, like, a super big expert on it. But the other thing that I think is really interesting is getting rid of the luxury tax system and replacing it with a salary cap and a salary floor. 
Interesting. So basically, if you look at the luxury tax, the luxury tax basically fines teams extra money if they go past a certain point in payroll. Yep. Right now, the luxury tax, I think, is set at $210 million. Only one team's going to break it this coming season, and that's the Dodgers, because it's the Dodgers, and they have talent all over the place on that team. But if you set the salary cap at $210 million, and then you start the salary floor at two-thirds of that salary cap cost, which would be $140 million, and you make it easier to hit that floor by giving a bump to the MLB salary minimums, you can get a much more well-rounded team when it comes to like competitiveness because it's a mark you have to hit anyways. I think that's just kind of revamping what they kind of a system that they already have. I think the players would like that more than owners well, obviously, obviously but I think, obviously good, I think it would be a good thing yeah the players the players would love it i think you would like at the very least like if bob nutting or if uh i'm trying to think of another good example of a team that's really cheap the rays are kind of cheap but they're making it work the tigers i think are an incredibly cheap team right now or miami oh my god the marlins i forgot about the marlins so cheap oh Derek Ugh. jeter all of these teams if you create the salary floor, at the very least, it means that they could still, like, ship off, you know, those really high-coveted, young, soon-to-be free agents and get prospect value back on them. But it also incentivizes them to be like, hi, you can go out and maybe snag. Instead of not participating in free agency at all, it would be that push you need to go out there and snag a couple of guys that are a little bit more household names and like could actually give like some veteran experience to your young guys that you're constantly trying to ride everywhere. So, right. I, I think those changes, you know, the minor league pay system, the minor league support system and creating a salary cap and floor. I think those would be very beneficial. Obviously that's an extra expense to owners, and owners are cheap. They make millions of dollars anyway. Yeah. The, the, they make millions and millions of dollars anyway. And yeah, yeah. I think the teams would benefit from those changes in the long run. So I think it would be you'd eventually get a return on your investment when one prospect pans out. and You go to the World Series or um, you pick up a couple of players because of the salary cap and salary at floor. And those guys help carry you in deep into the playoffs and you get household names. So you get ticket, you know, butts and seats, sell more tickets, you know, mm. et cetera. I think there would be some serious upsides to those things as well. I mean, obviously you got to pay, pay to play if you're an owner in those situations, but I think the upsides would be worth it. Yeah. I think the upsides, Potential upside. the, the upsides in the minor league system alone, I think is vastly worth it. And I think that the owners need to stop looking at, team payroll and their minor league systems don't look at them as expenses look at them as investments like the minor league system is literally investing in the future of your organization right treat it like an investment when you go to a financial advisor and you talk about 401ks or whatever they don't tell you oh yeah just like throw like the bare minimum like one percent in because you got like you want to go out and buy that like that Gucci hoodie or whatever the heck you want to buy. No, they're like, yeah, slam that thing to the max 6% and let's go. <laughs> like, it's it's very short-sighted, and they could create some really magical things for the fans, for baseball, and for their own pocketbooks long-term. They're just too short-sighted to see it. 
And speaking of butts in seats, Kalen, we're moving on to the third tier of changes, which is in fan support. So obviously a problem baseball has is that compared to basketball, compared to football, it's nowhere near as popular with the youth. This this is a known fact. Yeah. You know, people joke all the time that, like, Mike Trout could walk into, like, a mall and no one would realize it's the greatest baseball player of all time, basically. So some things that Major League Baseball should do to increase fan support and especially increase youth awareness of baseball, okay? Mm-hmm. First off, the MLB already has a system that provides youth academies to urban areas and underprivileged areas where they couldn't financially do, like, travel ball if you have a a physically gifted young athlete. So something that MLB could do, they already have a system uh, in place that has some urban youth academies across the country. It's called double RBI or it's called RBI. Excuse me. And I have in my notes here, basically doubling the funding for RBI and putting a new youth Academy in every single market that has an MLB team so that you can tie, you can tie those youth academies to the organization in that market. So at the very That's least, a big endeavor. I, I mean, it is a big endeavor, but like literally you are like directly tying your baseball team to, to the support of youth in your area. The people in Miami, like you are directly supporting the youth of Miami and like you are getting in their backyards. You are getting like in front of them as opposed to kind of just ignoring the whole thing. And I mean, it also just creates some benefit that, like, you're helping underprivileged youth pursue athletics. Yeah, no, I, I'm i all for programs like this, definitely, for sure. It's just, like, that's a huge undertaking for the MLB to do. I think I think a rollout, a slow rollout would probably be what they would do to of course, do yeah. something like this. But, and I'm all for it. I mean, I played baseball growing up, and then I switched over to, to lacrosse and, like, was going to go back to baseball. And, like, I, I just – I love baseball and lacrosse. I wish they were in two different seasons. I probably would have played both. But it definitely has dropped off in recent times. And I don't know if that's because less adults watch baseball games or, or get their kids into baseball because they do take, you know, forever. Or if it's just general interest with kids in – you know, overall, just is down in reference to the sport. I don't know. I don't know what the cause is. Because, I mean, if the cause is not enough exposure, that problem would be solved with, you know, building these RBI centers in every major city that has a baseball team. But if the issue is just a lack of interest because parents aren't interested in it or don't teach their kids, you know, about baseball or the game of baseball, then I think that a different problem that could be solved with this solution and could generate more interest but again i don't know if that would spark it in kids uh like oh i want to go see what rbi is all about you know what i mean i'm just thinking of like could you imagine like running a youth academy that is like geared towards underprivileged youth you're getting to a point where you're starting to talk about like you know social politics and so like social policy um Uh uh-huh But, like, you're getting to a point where, like, you're able to take, like, at-risk youth, put them in an environment that is going to be safer for them, more beneficial for them, take them away from, like, paths that lead down towards, like, 
a lot more like risky activities and like dangerous associations where there's you're talking like to do all those it's gonna do all those good things yeah it'll it'll do all those yeah good yeah things. that's i understand i understand that's the point yeah, yeah. And, and like do you like do you know how much okay so like i grew up and i played tons of different sports when i was young baseball was by far my favorite and i think the one i was most talented at because i did baseball basketball and uh soccer yeah i didn't do football um we moved around too much to get you know stuck in with like pop warner but baseball was by far the most fun. Do you know how much like like I'm like I'm already a pretty solid baseball fan, but do you know how much more dedicated I would have been to continuing to play baseball as I got older if instead of like just going out to like a random field with like a bunch of like elementary schoolers from my school, there was a place I could go like learn how to get better and like occasionally like oh my god, there would be like I don't know, uh like Andrew McCutcheon stopping in. Because, you know, it's, like, the Pirates, like, Associated Academy or whatever. He doesn't even have to, like, do anything. and just stop in, you know, say hi to a bunch of kids, sign a baseball, and then, like, holy crap. Like, like those kids are going to be obsessed for the rest of their life. You made lifelong fans. I think it's that easy. And another point that Foolish Baseball made was increasing equipment donations to schools. Like, that's very much hand-in-hand. Like, just increasing youth, like, awareness and excitement towards the sport just seems very simple in like continuing to like because like the problem is now like baseball is so slow and there's such a disconnect between the stars of the game and the youth of it like it's harder for kids to like feel cool watching Mike Trout or watching you know Giancarlo Stanton play baseball as it is to watch Steph Curry or LeBron James any of these guys that go out there and like are able to put swagger out there and like have such a presence, you know, with the community and with, you know, their fans. That's kind of what it comes down to. And like, you can really build up a love for baseball and connect it with these organizations. I think that's just a win-win. I don't know. I'm getting nostalgic about my youth. (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of, that kind of goes into the next point, which is increasing the support of MLB superstars. People like to bag on the whole, like, well, Mike Trout's, like, a boring person, and that's why, like, the MLB can't really promote him that well. But, I mean, Kawhi Leonard is a well-known superstar, and the man is basically, like, watching paint dry in a press conference. So Yeah, but they don't promote Kawhi that much. The NBA doesn't walk around promoting Kawhi. There are, there are some people that Foolish Baseball pointed out that are, like, the most obvious go-to candidates to, like, build up the sport of baseball around from like a superstar standpoint, the prime Fernando Tatis. Fernando Tatis was the prime <laughs> example. Oh my god! Yeah, I and, knew you were gonna do that. And, I knew that. Yeah, and Foolish Baseball was like, oh my god, he is a young guy who likes to like who has a lot of personality, a lot of swagger that he shows on the field. He is young. He is multilingual. Okay, he connects with not only like the little white boy watching in the suburbs, but he's connecting with Hispanic heritage because he is Hispanic and like able to like bring in the attention of like that, you know, generation and swath of kids that feel a bit of a disconnect because maybe there's a language barrier or something like that. He is just like a brilliant example of like a young energetic superstar that can reach out and connect with a huge amount of kids and young fans that you can just build up around him. So, yeah, that's the argument. Yep. Tatis Jr. And like, I do agree it. with it. I yeah. agree with it 150%. He's the man. So there were a couple more things that Foolish Baseball wanted to do. Okay. 
So first off, he said that Major League Baseball should be working with tops to make card products that aren't getting hawked by 40-year-old men. Um, <laughs> like, seriously, like, making something that there isn't any, like, collector's value in it. Like, make make the value, like, garbage, but, like, so, like, kids have access to it, you know? Because kids aren't going to care about the monetary value of it. They're going to care about, like, getting their favorite superstars, collecting the players they like. So that was that was an interesting take that I thought was really good. Are they... I guess, do they do that with baseball cards still? Like, does Tops just make, like, general packs that are a couple bucks? Um, Yeah, they do. They do, But the packs they make right now, there's a huge resurgence in the value and secondary market of baseball cards and basketball cards, too. To where, like, people are, like, hoarding up and, like, basically treating them like the stock market. Because, you know, like, a player wins a rookie of the year and their rookie card, like, goes through the roof. And then it's like, well, I just made a bunch of money because I'm sitting on 200 you know, Tatis Jr. baseball cards. Basketball's I have yeah. A ton of baseball and basketball and football cards. Well so you you might want to interesting. You might want to dig might through cash them. in. Yeah. I mean like some like the biggest markets for those are baseball, um, just because baseball cards are so ubiquitous with like the sports card market. And basketball is a huge one because basketball has such just visibility in like the modern day. Like I'm talking like Giannis rookie cards, like Luka Doncic rookie cards, like stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like those those are like the big money things. So basically make something with tops where like kids can actually go to a Walmart and not be out of cards because some like, you know, 40-year-old who's chasing a, you know, $200 LeBron card or or $200 Mike Trout or whatever came and swiped them all. Another cool thing is having more just like fun baseball events throughout the year like home run derbies and stuff like that i think that'd be really interesting like if they did like a preseason home home run like kickoff derby thing that would be kind of interesting um and then there are two more points i think these are going to be the ones that are a bit more discussion focused for us first one provide real real coverage of minor league baseball yeah i mean that gives people another opportunity to watch do you think that's something that's financially viable no, and I don't think big networks want to cover it because who honestly is going to watch it? Well, not necessarily big networks, but what if they put it on like their MLB TV package? I mean, you could you could do that now. You could put it on an MLB TV package and well, just yeah, move well, off of the local broadcast. Um, but well, there is it if there even is one. I mean, most local minor league teams have a radio broadcast. They don't really have a TV broadcast. No, I, I was a lot of them don't. I know the Reading Phillies did. I forget where it was broadcast to, but I I know they did. Probably some um, like local Reading area like public access channel. It was, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know how viable that is. I mean, um, the reason the reason that Foolish Baseball brought it up was because you can actually meet the futures the future stars of the game before they get there. Yeah. You could actually like watch Tatis Jr. or whatever you know, rookie candidate you want to talk about, like, on his way up, you know, working his way through the minors. Because you can tell that they're going to make the majors. Like, Tatis did not, yeah, like, I mean, hit the minor league system, and they're like, I don't know if this kid's got it or not. Like, obviously, he was going to make it. It was just depended on, like, getting his chops and all that. Yeah, I mean, like, I watched Ryan Howard go plow through the Redding Phillies at the time, now fighting Phil's organization in, like, a season, and it was like, peace, and then plowed through AAA. In like no time, not he wasn't even there the whole season. And then the Phillies were like, "Hey, hey, come up here." Jim Tomey's getting old. 
<laughs> need somebody to fill in. And then he proceeded to have a great, you know, great career in Philadelphia. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's cool. I, I think that's a neat thing to do, but I think it also takes away from the special, the specialty of like seeing someone go like live, go through the farm system. Like I did with Ryan Howard. You know what I mean? Like mm. it feels less special if everyone could have seen it. Yeah, I guess, but I don't know. Like, it would be interesting because then Ryan Howard would have this huge following that he would bring to the Phillies as he gets called up, as yeah. opposed to before where it was a lot more of a limited audience that, like, you know, would be like, oh, damn, it's Ryan Howard. That guy, like, just smoked the hell out of a double A team a year ago, you know? I know. I hear you. I And I see your viewpoint. And if this is all this is all about more widespread baseball. So if that's our end goal, then yes, this is an endeavor that uh, probably should be implemented or attempted. Is it feasible? Again, I don't think it's feasible, but it, it should be thought about mm. if that's the goal. Yeah, and I think th- I, I think this final point's very interesting, and I'm actually massively on board for it because I think that it makes economic sense. Bullish Baseball, his final point for fan support is that baseball games on Mondays through Thursdays should have no ticket cost for at least somewhere what? in the stadium. What? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I am 100% on board with this. because Okay, so he was citing a study that basically showed that whenever someone goes... That's because you... Wait, wait, you're you're on board with this because you want free baseball. That's the only reason that you're on board with this. Yeah, well, here's the thing. The reason I don't go to more baseball games is because the ticket prices aren't worth it. They just aren't. But, okay, for Monday through Thursday games, those aren't the prime games that everyone's coming out to, okay? Like, a Tuesday game at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you're not pulling a crowd no matter who you are, okay? Even the Dodgers have plenty of empty seats for those games. So, making it free incentivizes more people to come out. And there was a study done that basically pulled people that went to baseball games and found out how much they spent on just food concessions, okay? Food concessions at baseball games, people averaged $42 a person just in food. That doesn't count going. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, it doesn't count going to the store, buying the hat, buying the jersey, buying the, I don't know, like koozie, the coaster, the whatever you can get the fan shop. I think that Monday through Thursday are already like the worst ticket sale money makers anyways for a team, regardless of how good or bad you are. And I think that it's obviously going to benefit kids more because then a mom can be like, oh, yeah, I can take my two kids and their three friends to a baseball game. The kids enjoy the game or whatever. Yeah, the kids enjoy the game. Like, and the only thing it's going to cost me is like they're going to want hot dogs. $200 in food. (laughs) (laughs) But but the point is Monday through Thursday already isn't a moneymaker for them. And. The other point that Foolish Baseball brought up is that the money on the ticket sales is nothing compared to the money they're making on the TV deals. They're already making the money. They're already making a huge bulk of the money from the broadcast of the game. So incentivizing people to come to the game and to, you know, be exposed to buy food and buy merch and experience the team firsthand, which is just going to lead to them following the team more, lead to them watching the team whenever they're not in town, actually like paying attention to the broadcasts. I think that the weekday free tickets 
is a very spicy concept that I think is still a economic positive to team owners. I don't know about that. I'd have to see some real numbers to okay, actually wanna... <laughs> make a determination. But Meanwhile, he's he's yeah. over he's over here like looking at like all right, well, okay, so how many sales does Chicky and Pete's have? And if the Phillies, I am. Are this yeah, no, I'm thinking that. about that. I, I, I'm genuinely thinking about that. I, I need to see the numbers, but that's for another time. In, in concept, how does it sound? In concept, it sounds great because I want free baseball too. Well, of course, um, you know. Yeah, who, who doesn't want free baseball? But at the same time, like you know, it's, it's another one of those. Is it really viable things? I, th- I like the idea for obvious reasons, but you know, can it happen? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. And it doesn't have to listen. It doesn't have to be the whole stadium. OK, that's another thing. No, like, yeah. You could just make it like the upper deck yeah. well, or whatever. F- well, Foolish Baseball basically just said like free tickets Monday through Thursday, period. And I'm like, all right, that seems a bit extreme. Like I'm thinking at least in terms of PNC Park, like the left field bleachers. Hell yeah. Just hand those out like the upper decks in the corners, like the seats that are like, you know, the cheapest in the house anyways. Yeah, you can give those out. No problem. One's going to check your ticket if you like go down to the lower deck anyway. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, would you rather have a stadium that is much more empty that you made X amount of money off of? Or would you rather have made the same X amount of money off the people who wanted the nicer seats anyways? But the only difference is you have an extra, you know, couple thousand people that can fill out the stadium and actually make it feel like the city that you play in gives a crap about your team. Plus, you'd make money off the two hundred dollars that they'd have to spend on food for their four kids anyway. So, I mean, God, it's like it's like twelve bucks for one little thing of chicken and Pete's crab fries. Like that is highway robbery. I mean, it's good. Oh, don't even don't even go for beer. <laughs> the oh, beers yeah. are twelve dollars. I thankfully they're like the tall cans, like the super tall cans. Mm-hmm. So it's like buying two beers in one go. But like still. So after I turned 21, you, you were there for this, Caitlin. So shortly after I turned 21, um, actually, no, you weren't there for this. I'm so I was sorry. Not there. So shortly after I turned 21, I was at a conference in Washington, D.C., and we decided since we had a free evening and the Washington Wizards were playing, I think, the Pacers, either the Pacers or the Jazz, something of that color scheme. Yeah. Um. Since they were in town playing the Pacers, we're like, oh, let's go to the game. It's like a college night thing. It's fine. We'll do that. So we did that. And I was like, well, I'm 21 now. I'm going to buy a beer to, at a sporting event because I'm an American. God damn it. Um, so I, I did that once. I bought one one tall boy Miller Lite for 14 bucks. I did that one time. OK, just to check it off my bucket list. And I mean, those tickets were basically free because we were literally touching the ceiling of of the of Capital One Arena. <laughs> <laughs> i remember this story yeah i mean i buy a couple of drinks every time i go to a celtics game when they're in philly you know it's just because why not you don't have a lot of time at a basketball game to, to like drink you know nah. what i mean like you got you got two quarters which blow by pretty quick you got a half time which is relatively short and then you know another two quarters which are gone and then all right time to drive home so you can't really be drinking too much in that period of time yeah, so, I mean, you know, one $14 beer was, is about all you're going to get anyways. Well, depending on how quick you drink them. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Overall, I like the direction that Foolish Baseball is taking uh, his MLB future, his MLB universe, 
Um, I, I agree with the, the general support of all of it. Basically, it's just like, listen, yes, you know, paying more money on expenses sucks, but when those expenses lead to, like, long-term gains both financially and in the health of the game, there's no, there, like, it feels like a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of these things definitely feel like a no-brainer, but, you know, some of them obviously are will hurt Ian Roth's uh, soul. I mean, you're just upset but, about moving you know. the mound back two feet. Like that was that was the biggest sticking point. Like we talked about that for a while, and then yeah. everything else was like, yeah, yeah, all right, that's cool, that's cool, we're okay there. Yeah, that's pretty much that. Pretty much was the only thing I disagreed with in this entire discussion was moving the mound two feet you're, because I think that would do a lot of damage. But yeah, you're you and I are on different opinions on that. You're just like, yeah, completely renovate the entire minor league system, just flip it entirely upside down. But don't you dare touch that mound. 16, <laughs> 16 feet and six inches, and I will die on this little mound. You know, ah. I, I didn't agree to redoing the whole minor league system. I agreed to giving them living wages. Well, you know, <laughs> there's a difference yeah. there. Yeah, that's that's true. Well, that and their, uh, you know, a, a little bit of like, you know, actual, you know, professional growth programs. Get get, true. get baseball, like you know, get baseball players that you know don't think that. A couple of of McDoubles from McDonald's is an effective pregame meal. <laughs> yeah, no, but we those guys need some nutrition training, and uh, they can if uh, Foolish Baseball becomes uh, the Palpatine of of Major League Baseball, as you described earlier. Yes, indeed. Yes, but that will wrap up this episode of the pregame podcast and our discussion of Foolish Baseball's way of fixing the MLB, because there are certainly things it needs to do to keep up with football and basketball. If you have any other topics you want to talk about on the show, make sure to hit us up uh, with a message to our mailbag, the pregame mailbag at gmail.com. And that wraps it up for us. So my name is Dan Zalaski. My name is Kalen Wolfskill. And we'll see you guys on the next episode of the pregame podcast. Peace. Game podcast is produced by Dan Zaleski and Kalen Wolfskill. Theme music by High On You. A Ruby Media Production.